another episode of the Beulah Girl podcast. For links, related resources, and even more encouragement, visit BeulahGirl.com. Hi, friend. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Beulah Girl podcast. I'm Carol Whitaker, your host. We are just a few weeks away from Easter, and I wanted to take the opportunity to focus on Jesus and just look at a few scenes from his life before he was crucified and also right after he was crucified, rose from the dead, and right before he ascended to heaven. I want to look at Jesus not only in this podcast episode, but in the next few podcast episodes as we usher in Easter and look at just some different aspects, some different lessons that we can learn from some interactions and conversations he had right before his death and directly after. In this particular episode, I'm going to be focusing on right before his death in John 12, 3 through 8, where Mary anoints his feet, and I'll get to that in a moment. But the lesson I think I want to focus on for tonight is the cost of following Jesus and what that particular passage can teach us about that. All of us in our Christian walk will have moments that pop up unexpectedly throughout our day where we will have choices we can make. We can do the right thing, what Jesus would have us to do, or we have another way that presents itself that may look easier, may look more appealing, may be more comfortable, may require less of us, or may help us look better in front of some friends, whatever it is, but we will have choices whether we choose the hard way which is Jesus's way, or whether we choose the more convenient path. And this is illustrated in this John 12 passage. Not too long ago, I was at the grocery store and I was waiting for my groceries to be begged. I was just sort of standing there at the checkout counter and I was staring off into space. I don't know that I was really thinking about anything really that profound. I was just kind of lost in thought. And a comment from the beggar, um, the, the, the guy who was begging up my groceries sort of interrupted this, you know, moment I was having. And he just said, Hey, I like the design on your shirt. Well, of course, when he said that, I honestly had to take a minute to look down and see what shirt I was even wearing. I couldn't remember what it was I had put on that day. But I was wearing an old navy sleeveless shirt and it has a printed design, flower design on it. And it looks like it was handcrafted somewhere or maybe made by some, you know, amazing artist. But in fact, it's just an old navy shirt with a printed on design, but it does have that kind of handcrafted look. And so I, you know, I thanked him and then I noticed that he was wearing a necklace with an unusual design. So I complimented him on that. And he said, yeah, I I really like designs. And he started talking about this festival that he likes to go to. And this particular festival was one that I had been to before. And there are a lot of art vendors there. They sell artwork. It's not an art festival. It's actually a Renaissance festival. And there are other activities, but they do have a lot of artwork, a lot of art vendors there. But as he was mentioning it, you know, I immediately started having thoughts in my mind because I had been there one time and I actually twice, but I didn't really love this particular festival. So as he was talking to me, he said, you know, have you been to it? I said I had, and that it wasn't my favorite. And I said that in as nice a way as possible. 
Um, but then I kind of had a choice, a choice to explain to him why I didn't really like this festival or a choice to just simply leave the conversation there. Because the reason I didn't love this festival is because much of the artwork and so forth that I saw when I was there depicted a dark kind of spirituality that, you know, celebrated, I think, Wicca and other religions that go against what Christianity teaches. And I felt very uncomfortable when I was there. I felt just a dark vibe around many of the vendors and so forth. And I just personally, you know, couldn't embrace the artwork that was there or buy it because it, it seemed to depict, you know, beliefs that were contrary to Christian, Christianity and so forth. So I debated in my mind, you know, should I tell him why I, I don't go to this festival or don't really like it that much? And I ultimately just decided against it because I knew that it would most likely open up an awkward conversation that I didn't know that I wanted to open up right there in the grocery store. So I just, you know, smiled at him, thanked him for begging my groceries. I walked out to the car, but as I was walking out to the car, I had this sinking feeling in my stomach because I realized that I had left a perfectly good opportunity to witness, to open up. A conversation about spirituality and I had left him hanging a little bit I told him I wasn't a fan of the festival and I really didn't explain why and so when I put my groceries in the car I knew that I had a choice to just drive home in that moment or to go back and to you know to re-engage in that conversation so I chose to go back because I felt that that was the right thing to do in that instance I found him near some carts and I just went up to him and said, hey, I'm so sorry. I didn't really explain where I was coming from in telling you I didn't like the festival. You know, I'm a Christian. Let me just kind of explain to you why. And I, and, and I took the opportunity to just tell him briefly that, you know, much of the artwork there and so forth, I felt supported beliefs that I didn't really support. And so therefore, you know, I didn't think it was wrong to go to that particular festival. But I just personally felt that much of what I saw there was that which I couldn't really stand behind. And so I felt, you know, initially that probably our conversation would end there, but he kind of gave me a funny look and it actually opened up a larger conversation. He then told me, he said, oh, you know, he said that he was actually searching spiritually, that he was looking into some different religions that he'd actually grown up in a Christian home, but he had some serious questions about Christianity in regards to why God lets people suffer so much, whether people are in fact really bad or sinful. And he had some questions that he was wrestling through that he just ultimately felt like he couldn't accept Christianity at that time because of those unanswered questions he had. And many of the questions he had were those that I wrestled through personally in my walk and were those I had when I was a young person. So I was able to, for a few minutes, share with him how when I was a young person that I, you know, went through a rebellious time where I very much walked away from my faith with my actions and I returned back to it, but it was definitely a process and a journey. And so we were able to talk about that for a few minutes and have actually a good conversation about spirituality. Now, since that conversation, I have seen him a few times. We haven't talked about religion or God since then. 
I don't know that that conversation will ever come up again. And from what he's, you know, seems to have said, he's still searching as far as other religions. But I knew that the right thing in that moment would be to defend my faith to, if possible, reach out to someone I didn't even know was struggling and was turning his back on the values he had been raised with on, on God and seeking out a different way. And so it was just in, you know, in looking back at that moment, I realized that, you know, we all have those, those times throughout our day or our week when we are presented with a, an opportunity. And oftentimes we don't always take it because it's not comfortable in the moment. We weren't planning on spending time talking to someone or we feel awkward or we're afraid of what people will think. This conversation I had with the beggar, it it went better than some conversations I've had and some some experiences. There have been situations where I've been so filled with fear that I haven't done what is right or I you know, didn't handle or navigate the situation or the person had a poor reaction, not because of something I said, but, you know, it was costly for me to engage in a conversation with someone because they were so opposed to what I was saying. That really wasn't the case in this conversation. But at the same time, it was one that it would have been easier for me not to have because I was, you know, busy getting groceries. I, you know, needed to go home and get some things done. And I didn't know how he was going to respond. So there was a cost to it. But, you know, there have been other times where I have determined without really realizing it that the cost is too great. And I've just sort of gone on my own way. But I've always felt bad after those. And honestly, after this particular incident, I, I was glad that I lingered around and talked with him because I didn't realize where, at what place he was at and searching spiritually. In John, as I mentioned before, John 12, 3 through 8, we hear a story where just this idea of choosing the path of Jesus rather than an easier one is highlighted. This account is also given in Mark and Matthew, but in those accounts, it really focuses mainly on Mary anointing the feet of Jesus. And it does say that disciples rebuke her, but it doesn't tell as much detail in those other accounts about the particular comments of the disciples as it does in John. In John, we see detail given about one particular disciple's comments, and that's the comments of Judas. I wanna just go ahead and read you the passage. I'm reading from the NIV. Then Mary took a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, I just want to point this out to you that this dinner takes place, it tells us in John, six days before the Passover. It takes place several days before the Last Supper. 
and several days before Jesus's death on on a cross. So when Jesus is saying it was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial, you always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. He was, of course, alluding to his death, which was going to happen shortly after that. And really, we have to look at Mary and Judas's actions in this passage. Mary gave all she had out of sheer devotion to her Lord. He had just recently, Jesus had most recently raised her brother Lazarus from the dead. She had a whole lot to be grateful for. And so she was wanting to show Jesus her gratitude. And so she used an expensive jar of perfume that would have been the equivalent of the cost of, basically it would have been the equivalent of a whole year's worth of, of wages, a common laborer's wages. And in one of the commentaries I was reading, it said that it would probably be about the equivalent of $10,000. Whatever the case, it was an extravagant amount. And she lavished this on Jesus, wiped his feet. And not only did she give to him in terms of, you know, a financial gift, she also gave to him in terms of, you know, a personal cost to herself socially. There were, of course... Judas was ridiculing her, but it says in the other accounts that the disciples, that there were others besides Judas that were shocked at what she was doing. They thought her act to be scandalous. She was using her own hair to wipe his feet, which normally Jewish women kept them bound and so forth. But she was just lavishing her perfume, her service on Jesus. And Judas, we see criticizes her and says how such a large sum would be wasted. He considered her wasting the perfume on Jesus. And he says, you know, that the money could have been given to the poor. But as John explains, Judas's concern was merely a pretense. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. That's what it tells us in verse six. As scholars explain, Judas wasn't concerned about giving money to the poor he was the keeper of the money bag and he was accustomed to helping himself to it. He was most likely eyeing Mary's costly gift, scholars say, and lamenting the fact that he wouldn't be able to skim a little off the top of it. He was probably wishing he could get his hands on it. So when he said, oh, you could be giving this money to the poor, he really didn't care that much about the poor. He was just wanting to get what he could from the money from the nard. However, Jesus rebukes him. He sets him straight and says to all in hearing that her gift would prepare his body for burial. And in the Matthew account, Jesus calls Mary's act beautiful. And that's Matthew 26, 10. The word in the Greek for beautiful is one that refers to that which is honorable, an outward expression of an inner good. Because Mary's gift shows what's truly in her heart, just as Judas's comments show what's in his. Mary is willing to give away her most precious possession, humiliate herself for Jesus, whereas Judas is only interested in that, which require no sacrifice and would serve his own interests. And we see just a few passages later, Judas's greed reaches new levels in the very last supper, which is just a few days after this, 
the last supper Jesus has with his disciples, Judas is present and he leaves from there. According to the John account, he leaves from there to go and negotiate terms with the chief priests to get money to hand over Jesus, basically. Now, depending on what account you read, if you read, I believe it is the Matthew account, these um, Judas leaving, he actually puts it directly after the dinner where Mary washes Jesus's feet. Whatever the case, it's right around this time period leading up to Jesus's death when the people are about to celebrate the Passover. So as commentary Warren Wearsby notes, perhaps Judas was, you know, disappointed Jesus wasn't going to conquer Rome. Perhaps he didn't expect the road to Jesus to look like it had. Whatever the case, he had been planning, most likely, to desert Jesus for some time. And this is hinted at when he rebukes Mary. It wasn't a one-time decision. It was most likely a series of decisions and really a series of actions that led Judas further and further away from Christ. And as I was reading this, I just had to sort of think to myself, don't all of us have a little of Judas in us? At different junctures when our walk with Jesus leads us to moments like I had in the grocery store, we will have to engage in an uncomfortable conversation, give up some of our time or look different, we might say, should I really give up this much for Jesus? Is he really worth the cost to me? We may be tempted to forgo talking, talking with others or standing up for what we know to be right because such actions in the moment may require more than we really want to give. But that's the upside down aspect of Christianity. We give up what we want to gain everything and lose everything we think we want when we try to keep it. And that's Matthew 16, 25 talks about that. And here's the other thing. What we see with Mary and Jesus' gift is that while Mary's gift was initially very expensive, both in terms of how much it cost financially and also the social cost, as she was ridiculed when she delivered it, we see that her gift was absolutely worth the cost. She actually received a return from her gift. Jesus commended her for her act. He defended her and he told her that her act brought honor to him, that it was a good work that brought honor to him. And he even said, you know, that her story would be told for generations. And that's exactly what happened. For generations, Mary's story has been told and she has been praised for her act of devotion to Jesus. Judas, on the other hand, his story has also been told for generations, but it's been told for the very worst kind of reasons to show us what we shouldn't do. Judas, filled with guilt over betraying Jesus, knowing that he was an innocent man, he tried to return to the chief priest and return the money after he betrayed Jesus. And he told them, look, you have an innocent man. Please let him go. And they basically laughed in his face. They did not want Jesus to be released. They didn't want the money back in exchange for Jesus. They had what they wanted. So they gave, you know, they didn't take the money and Judas threw it on the floor of the temple and then went and he hung himself. Even at this point in his, in his journey, as Judas was getting further and further away from Jesus, Judas could have at that point repented and returned, but he didn't. Jesus would have still accepted him had he repented and returned, but he, instead he went and hung himself. And the lesson for all of us is that Judas's life didn't have to end this way and in, in ruin and misery. What he could have done differently 
is he could have responded to Jesus's call to restoration. What we see is when Jesus rebukes him in front of everyone, it's not just to make him look bad or to tell him that he's not good enough for his presence. Jesus tries to correct Judas's thinking to ultimately help him turn from the selfishness in his heart to do some needed heart surgery. But Judas doesn't respond to that call. In fact, he just goes deeper and deeper into sin. We see that again, shortly after this, at the Last Supper, Judas is sitting there. Jesus sits, you know, is sitting right next to Judas. He even tells Judas, you're going to betray me. And Judas has an opportunity then to turn and do the right thing. But he leaves from there and he progresses further down his own path and goes and collects money for Jesus's whereabouts and gives up the whereabouts of his friend and betrays Jesus. So Judas, his continual wrongdoing without repentance is what leads to his eventual ruin. Jesus knew all along what was in Judas's heart and pilfering from the money bag and criticizing the service of others. And yet he gave Judas every opportunity to turn and go the right way. And yet Judas did not take that opportunity. For all of us, the world offers temptations that will call for us repeatedly to get off track, to go the easy road that has no resistance, persecutions, or pain. But there is a higher call for us to follow. And it's the call of Jesus. And again and again, we'll have opportunities where we can follow Jesus or we can go our own way. And if we choose to go our own way, we can turn. We can choose to repent and say, you know, Jesus comes after us. He shows us what we've done wrong. He corrects us. But when he does, we have to make the the choice to accept his correction and choose to change. If we don't, our wrongdoing will simply lead to more wrongdoing until we find ourselves in a place like Judas where we never meant to be. And we've left Jesus behind. The Bible tells us that it is the Lord's kindness that leads us to repentance. That's Romans 2, 4. And it's actually, um, I was listening to a sermon from my pastor recently, and he was talking about how pride, pride can harden our hearts, our, our belief that we want to, you know, we can do it our own way. Instead, humility means that we can accept whatever discipline God sends our way, no matter how hard it is. And it talks about in Hebrews 12, 6, about the discipline of the Lord. As I was preparing this message, there was a song that came to mind and it it's from Crowder and it says wanderer come home you're not too far I think for many of us when we make a mistake we think you know what I've blown it too bad I I can't be forgiven for this or I messed up again Jesus I let you down for so many of us even when we try we're, we're attempting to do the right thing we suddenly get in a position and realize Oh my goodness, you know, we're reading the Bible and, and, and God lifts something off the page and helps us to realize that we are we aren't on track, that we have a sin issue in our life that he's attempting to address. And our reaction may be, I want to hide, I want to run away, or Jesus can't accept me anymore. But as this passage show, shows us, we can turn. That Jesus corrects us and shows us what we need to do to change so that we can change, not so that we are cast out of his presence. And we're never too far 
to come back. It doesn't matter what we've done, but we do have to accept God's mercy and grace and return. And that's something, unfortunately, Judas never did. He did not accept the grace and mercy of his Savior, but instead chose to end his life the way he did, and he never returned to truly repent. Even though he was remorseful for what he did, he never returned to Jesus and decided to go a different way. So it's definitely a sad lesson, but one that can teach us that when presented with those choices to choose what's right, and even if we have chosen wrong in the past, and we need to confess that we can come today to God and do that. Let's just go ahead and wrap up with prayer. Dear Lord, some of us listening, maybe there are things coming to mind where we realize, Lord, we've fallen short. And Lord, we're in need, perhaps, of repentance, going a new way. I just pray, Lord, that you would encourage those listening to not run any further, to come to you with wherever they are. And even if they're not dealing with an issue in their life that they necessarily need to come to you and repent, help this story just encourage them in those moments that they encounter down the road where they have a choice to choose you or choose an easier path that they would remember the lessons from this story and they would choose you knowing that choosing you although initially more costly is always going to give them the bigger return in the long run whereas judas only leads to death the way of judas only leads to death thank you lord for your word that instructs us how to live and how to be wise and how we conduct our lives in jesus name amen